The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what's going on, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have episode 114. The short story at the end of the episode will be 28 blocks. But first, we have a very special guest all the way from Maryland. His name is Dom Breitma. He is a fascinating speaker, podcast host, and a, an author. Uh, his book, Stay the Course, The Elite Performers, Seven Secret Keys to Sustainable Success, uh, is his latest. And that's what I was hoping to talk to him about today. Dom, thank you so much for coming on today. Man, Mark, thanks a bunch for having me on, man. Appreciate you and all the work you're doing, my man. Let's have fun on the bun. All right, man. Let's let's do it. So let me I want to hear how you got started in this world of self-leadership. Like what what made you interested in that? Because it seems like you started at a pretty young age. Oh, yeah, man. Definitely started at a young age. Um my one of her parents, mom, she was all about education. She got a master's and my father, he was all about education because he dropped out of high school and he actually served in the U.S. Army in the 82nd Airborne Division during World War II and the Vietnam War. And he actually never was able to finish his schooling. So he wanted me to make sure I finished my education. So went to finished high school, went to community college, got an IT degree, but in the middle of that IT degree, like the penultimate semester, like the second to the last one, it was a year of just all these domino effects of things just happening. Like it, like my father, who was all about supporting me and encouraging me and praying for me and all that good stuff. He came down with Alzheimer's after he went out for a drive and got lost in the city about a good 40 miles outside of Maryland. Then the next month, I get into a car accident on the day of my 21st birthday. And my job at the time, I had a part-time job at the library where I thought that all that external stuff from the personal life wouldn't show up in the professional life, but it actually was with some communication issues. And I'm like, oh, wow, I guess I've been screwing up royally here. And I realized, wait a second, like something has to change because in that meeting with the boss where she brought up all of these areas where I was screwing up, like she mentioned that folks are going to be looking at me as a leader, especially her new hires, because that job, I held it for five years at the time. And she was bringing on a few new hires for the new school year since it was around that time. And subconsciously, my mind kept it. And when I went to the leadership section of the library, I grabbed a book by John Maxwell, The Five Loves of Leadership. And then out of nowhere, like I just became this voracious reader because like I used to Love reading books as a kid, but then going up into higher grades of grade school, you get more book projects. And with the classic U.S. school system, there's some books that they give you to read that you don't like reading and they end up making you hate reading. <laughs> and I'm going to spark notes to really get some advantages on the darn tests and whatnot. And just finding that love for reading again, because there's great nonfiction books out there that talk about positive psychology, happiness, leadership, and heck, even self-leadership and with the thing about self-leadership is that from the cradle to the grave we lead ourselves the longest and in that 
dash that we have of life, the between that kind of like the meat of our life, like from the birth to death, like that meat, it really involves our actions that we take, the choices that we make and the people that we meet. And if all three of those things align enough on the good side of the hourglass, the good side of the seesaw, where you have that balance in life, where you get more things out of life, then that lead to some great things. So really just getting into self-leadership all happened from having a few setbacks in young adulthood that really led me to personal development and becoming a guinea pig and just reading a bunch of books and trying to take at least one piece of action from each book. Because the thing is, like nonfiction books, they're built to educate you and entertain you a bit too, because depending on the author, you may find some funny stories in there too, but it'll be fruitless if you don't do anything as a result of what you read. Mm -hmm. Now, how how quickly were you able to implement these changes were like, did it, did it take you, was it a long period for this growth or because it seems like you probably took to it pretty quickly. Yeah. I'd say it was probably a decent study prop, probably a medium paced study because um, some of the stuff was easy. Like one of the things was of course in the BC before COVID era and one of John Maxwell's books, he mentions the walking slowly through the crowd and just learning people's names and taking your time to get to know people if you're in a group of people. So that way you uh, learn more about them, be a more people person, more personable person, because heck, even because <laughs> because at times I do have do have hermit tendencies where I like to keep <laughs> to myself, kind of like you, Mark is like, yeah, I'm a, I, it's, it's great to be around people. I love being happy and all, but it's like, ah, I need that quiet time, <laughs> I need that quiet time to think. And then just adding that helped me to realize like, hey, I can become one of those ambiverts, one of those extroverted introverts where he gets to really be a social butterfly, learn, learn and network with other people, but also can still recover after a bit and still get back in the game metaphorically. Heck, even another activity that I picked up from my reading that I actually implemented, which is easy to do that I now call the mirror force yourself method, where you're looking in the mirror of your life by the three things you are good at and three things that you can work on and asking those close to you to give you some feedbacks. Like, Hey, so what are three things that you like about me? Or what are three things I could work on? And again, kind of like with the hermit side of me, one buddy of mine, he noted that I have antisocial tendencies and I'm like, Oh, wow. So that led to me joining another Toastmasters club in addition to the first one I joined to add on to what I was doing to not only break out the shell and talk to more people, but also to have an opportunity to give more speeches to a different audience and a different group. And just those two activities that, that were easy to implement really led to, I'd say almost immediate results over a few weeks because the feedback I got from others I asked about a good five people for their feedback and I took an objective view of the feedback because that's the other thing too about that activity you have to look at it from an objective point of view not like hey it's like yeah they're right I'm so good at being humorous I can make people laugh like hey I'm the best in the world at what I do it's like hey I was able to maybe break somebody's arm one time in that jujitsu class even though that was a dumb idea because it was practice not an actual match or whatever as opposed to 
like, hey, like the whole antisocial tendencies, like, hey, you have this RBF, the resting belief face or <laughs> resting <laughs> bitch face, as it's classically known. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. like smile a little more, like things like that. And just really just looking at it from that point of view and then just making the changes in my life and then just seeing the results of it have been amazing. That's awesome. Now, how difficult was going into Toastmasters? Did you have, was, did you have any kind of fear of speaking prior to that? Oh, yeah, that's the good thing about Toastmasters. Like, that, it's folks of all levels. I actually considered myself a good speaker before joining Toastmasters because another thing about my parents, they were about education, but also about faith, too. So every Sunday, I would recite Bible verse in front of the congregation which in its peak in its heyday would fit up to a thousand people every every week wow. so being a little kid just so grandmothers and mothers and occasionally great grandparents could pop and be like hey that's my baby the yours is that chapter is just yeah you're going buddy it's just just little moments like that and doing plays especially in the teenage years when you know the puberty happens and the voice got a little deeper and one of the youth uh, directors, she she heard me one Sunday pray, and she was like, hey, that youth voice sounds good. We need to get you to narrate this Christmas play. And then they just kept asking me to do stuff, and then I kept doing stuff, and that gave me the confidence and the edge to realize, hey, I'm a darn good speaker here. But when I joined Toastmasters, I became a better speaker because just because you're good at speaking in one area or doing something in one area, it doesn't always transfer or translate over to other areas because one thing about speaking is that especially nowadays you have to be entertaining engaging and a little bit humorous if you're a little bit humorous or you're a little funny then you'll be a better speaker because if you can make people laugh they'll eventually buy because people like to be around those people that are funny because that's a sign of intelligence because those who are humorous they know how to observe things and then acknowledge sometimes the elephant in the room and then make light of it in a way where it's like hey you know what he or she is right. They know what they're talking about. Like, I like, I like this guy. I must, I must stick with him. So that's really what Toastmasters was for me. I, it, it was easy for me, but the good thing about the organization, it's folks from multiple levels. There are folks who've been paid thousands of dollars who joined Toastmasters to practice their content all the way to the guy or gal who just got promoted to management and their senior manager told them to join the club so that way they can become a better speaker and not say 50,000 ums in like five minutes. (laughs) That's me. Uh, That's awesome. Now, with your speaking, did you already know, did you already know kind of like what your message was, what your passion is, what you wanted to go and talk to people about? And uh, yeah, so what, what are some of the types of speeches that you've given and what have you seen any uh, transformations from it? Uh, great question. That's the first time I actually got asked that question. Freaking good deal right there. Actually, no, I didn't really know my, feel like I knew my true message. I mean, I'm a Christian all, and I want to make an impact. Like, of course, inspire people and all that good stuff. That was like the general view. But after giving a few speeches and Toastmasters based off of books, heck, even one book I recommend other people to pick up in addition to yours, if they have it, Mark, is a book called Verbal Judo by this um, guy named George Thompson. Now, granted, he's no longer with us. He's at, He was actually a police officer, a street officer 
for probably about a good, I think, 10 or 15 years. And his like first day on duty, he like beat up this guy because he wouldn't get in the car, wouldn't listen to him. And he felt really good about himself because he also did a keto and karate before joining the, the, the police force. So he could basically beat up any guy, anybody he wanted to. But the thing was, other people saw what happened. And his captain called him in. It's like, hey, man, you can't be doing that every day. Like, I, like I know you're excited to join the force, but you can't be just beating up everybody, dude. We, we, we ain't got the budget for all these darn lawsuits, man. <laughs> and just really, that forced him to really get out of his shell. And in his book, and heck, even still rings to me to this day, is the fact that in his book, he says, I'd rather be cut with a sword than hear words that hurt me to for years on them because like an injury like you can recover from an injury for in a few weeks and a few months like a physical injury like a broken arm or like a freaking twisted toe or broken toe or something take up mustard muffs ice you'll be fine but words like heck even, even from that grade school teacher like i'm pretty sure we may have all had the experience where we still remember what someone said to us years ago oh, yeah. decades ago and it's like wow when he said he'd rather be cut with the sword than hear some words that would hurt him like that it just made since when he did that explanation and that was like my first presentation the power of words is the fact that our words we have to be careful the words we speak heck even in the older days where folks would talk less <laughs> and of course we i guess not having social media help with that not having <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. telephone is advanced help with that too but the fact that we listened more and spoke less back then was probably an asset because the thing is our words have power our words have power like like if we speak something into existence like hey i'm going to interview over 400 mixed martial artists and coach or i'm going to speak to over 100 and learn from them and then that'll grow into 400 plus i'm going to be a best-selling author of like 15 books like hey you speak that into existence you and you really believe with emotion your body subconsciously is going to make moves in that direction. And if you truly believe it and you take the action that happens, it'll happen. But really just our words have power and just taking content from stuff that I've read, applying it to my own life and just giving more speech. I was able to really hone in, develop my message and find the realm of self-leadership because leadership is really what it's all about, especially self-leadership, because if you're going to lead anybody else, you have to start with yourself. We have to lead ourselves first. Like if you, even as a spiritual person, like we still have to lead ourselves to that, to that spiritual base, to that belief in God, whoever God you may serve, whoever's listening to this, because you, you have the choice to serve or not to serve the choice to ignore or to adore, or just really choose have that choice to direct your attention to a certain higher power and we have to realize that hey we lead ourselves first and we have to make sure we try to lead ourselves as best we can as well as we can because eventually people see and people do and folks might eventually follow it's not just on social media if you're if they follow your journey because out of curiosity and they see that you're a good person who's really trying to do something positive in the world and like what you're doing and of course, you'll probably piss off a couple of people along the way. And I'll just further prove that you're on the right track is the fact that really just you'll definitely make some magic happen. So, yeah, the message, it didn't I, I had the big picture view of it, but I wasn't able to drill it down as much to where it is today. And there's no telling where it'll be five years from now, because I'm always trying to reinvent myself because elite performers 
always go through reinvention period if they want to reach the next level. That's awesome, man. And that's, that's something I wish I had considered uh, years and years and years ago. Uh, but especially like just that idea of self-leadership, that was something that never even like crossed my mind. I was always thinking like, okay, maybe I could go to someone, I could listen to someone, I can bring one thing in. I never thought about actually, you know, leading myself. Uh, and so I think that's pretty awesome. Now, how about your book? Uh, I want to talk about uh, Stay the Course. What exactly? Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Uh, why should someone pick that up? Uh, sure thing. So the first reason why folks should pick it up is because it's under under pages. So it's an easy read. You could probably finish the book in an hour, like because a lot of folks nowadays, they don't have the attention span to go through 500,000 pages of content. Yes. So <laughs> that's Very the big true. reason. <laughs> it'll save you some time. And the good news is not only will it save you some time, it'll give you some nice reminders if you're already in the space of elite performance and self-help and personal development. It also may lead to other things that you may not have considered. Like one of the things that I mentioned in the book that heck, even you might appreciate, Mark, is that he mentioned... Um, the story of George St. Pierre when he first got into MMA in the chapter of influence awareness, where I talk about mentorship and having that as one of the positive influences in your life. Like his, um, like George is his first ever MMA teacher, Christoph Maddox, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, really believed in him as, as basically as a metaphorical kid, since you think it was like 19 at the time when he was in Canada and just doing little jobs to get by and still survive really after all the training and after George has taken all the beatings, he saw a gift in him that George didn't see within himself to where he eventually was beating guys who appeared on TV, whether it was just in Canada or heck even across the world. So that's another thing too, like just that one example, one reminder is like, Hey, there's some things you want to pick up. Heck even I'll even drop an acronym for five out of seven keys. So that way the folks do, decide to pick it up later they'll be like i wonder what the other two secret keys are because i like to call it the call it mitch so if any if there's a guy named mitch listening then you can probably <laughs> jump out your seat in excitement so the acronym mitch the m in mitch stands for mental awareness being aware of your mind and your mindset the i is for influence awareness similar to the georgia st pierre quote and story being aware of what's around you and who's influencing you then there's the T, time awareness. We all have 1,440 minutes a day, and everybody has that same amount of time. It just depends on what you do with that time. No matter how much money you have, we all have the same amount of time, and what you do with it is your decision. And if you try to do things that will benefit your life, then you'll be better off for it. And the C is connection awareness, like having your metaphorical Wi-Fi signal open for great people to connect with like being able to connect with other people networking with other people podcasting is a great way to do so like mark himself he like granted he didn't even have his podcast at first when he interviewed all those wonderful martial artists and learning from them and what made them tick to better understand what goes on in the brain and just learning some of the telltale signs of what to avoid and try to how to really stave off brain injury but the fact that a podcast could take it to another level because everybody and their mother are almost a starting podcast. And if you can survive long enough, you'll be higher amongst the pack and among your peers if you stay consistent with it. 
And then there's the H, which is habit awareness, being aware of habits that'll really help you to develop and be the person that you want to become. Like, are you doing habits like heck, even like when Mark was on the Going North podcast, deep sleep, like getting that true deep sleep that'll rest your body so that way you can have your hormones right and your testosterone levels at the right level. And that way, heck, even have those gains and your body can rest, recuperate and catch up with itself because that's really where the magic happens. So just to recap, the M, mental awareness, the I, influence awareness, T, time awareness, C, connection awareness, and H, habit awareness, being aware of your habits. And those are the five magical awareness keys of self-reports. That's the five out of the seven. So that's something to snack on and feel free to grab the rest when you can head over Amazon. It's also on Kindle Limited too. So if you don't feel like dropping some coin in the change purse, you can always read it for free. If you've got a Kindle Unlimited account too. It's awesome. I'm picking it up because that is all awesome advice. And I love the fact I used to feel differently about short books. I used to uh, not like them. I was against them, but Man, uh, I, I love books that have the information I need and, and that's it, you know, and especially if there's actionable steps in there. Um, I just one, read one recently, it was only about 50 pages, but it there, just the one thing I took from it improved my life. So I paid $3 to have my life improved and it didn't take me very long to read it, which is excellent. So um, I for sure am picking this up. Now, um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your podcast uh, today. So it's 114 episodes for me today. Uh, last week, I mentioned I had a prior podcast called Unlocking, where I talked to lots of MMA fighters and different people. And I did 113 episodes before I went into this bad depression. And I completely shut it down uh, without any word. Um, now, you have a ton of shows. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the podcast. How many episodes you have? Have you ever had that instinct just to shut it down? Um, I'd love to hear your experiences as being a podcast host. Oh, man, it's, it's been one heck of a ride. I can say that much. <laughs> it's been one heck of a ride. My God, because uh, it it's um, I'm trying to pull up this darn page now because I forgot the official count. OK, here we go. So the like the actual numbers like today at this recording, I'm on episode 364, but the actual count is actually 438 episodes because <laughs> if you ever heard of the author Jeffrey Gittimer, you'll see some of the subtitles. They'll be like, hey, the sales Bible, like 12.5 commandments or the 10 commandments of sales or whatever. You'd always put like 0.5 at the end of certain books saying I did that for certain episodes. That way I can get more content out to people. And there's another way to set myself apart, but um, I can't recall a time where I wanted to shut down the show. But I, but during the editing process, I'll be hating life. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the thing, because my goodness, like um, like and I've gotten better at editing. Like the first, oh god, the first episode, I had to outsource because the audio was so darn bad. Um, it, it was crazy. I I fumbled my way through it and couldn't get anything done but I had to outsource it but after a few episodes and, and well, that's the thing too about podcasting like in the beginning we're all gonna suck if you get through the period where it sucks then you see some growth and some change going on then you'll 
really just get better and not butter and you'll be like man this is great because now i can just edit like click click boom on most episodes especially if zoom doesn't do its robotic noise it's like yes <laughs> yeah oh man like that heck i'm actually funny enough i was actually interviewing a had a episode yesterday i was was um editing and it was so bad i, I thought i was going to be using the video too since the Wonderful lady had a bunch of copies of her book behind her. She had some surround sound marketing going on with like multiple copies of his of her book. It was like, oh, this is like a like a in, inception here. It's like, oh, everywhere you turn, it's it's it's, it's her face and her book and her in front of me. So like, I got used the video on this, and I hear the audio, and I'm like, oh crap, I don't think I'm using the video. So I'm like, ah, oh, darn it. But yeah, so never got the never got the inclination to quit because it's because the thing is like i i set myself up for success beforehand um anyone's looking to start a podcast john lee dumas he has he has a new book out which is um i believe it's called the uncommon path to uncommon success that's a great book i prefer if if you like his voice pick it up on audio i got it on audio i love it on audio and if you listen to it at like 1.2 speed or whatever that puts you at an even higher level but he had another book out years ago called Podcast Launch. And that probably, I probably, I'd say most of my podcast success at the beginning in terms of the preparation, I'd say would attribute to that book because he mentioned how not only you sh- how to come with a name for your show and all that good stuff, but also giving yourself a backlog of recordings. So I basically did about a good let's say around 10 interviews i believe i think it was around 10 and funny enough now granted even though i was able to launch it wasn't a successful launch like I, it, it's like me trying to go to the moon but there's no gas in it sometimes because funny enough funny story I, my original plan to launch the podcast i had this thing called 50 days of inspiration where it's going to be an inspirational quote every day one once a day 50 days and the thing was i didn't know how the hell to work canva at the time i didn't even know canva existed and so i went to fiverr outsource um the quotes i took some quotes out of my first book going north and seeing some of the quotes i'm like oh this is good this is good and i'm like oh wait crap this is the same thing twice i gotta go back and get this done so only had 47 quotes and it was supposed to be 50 days of inspiration and on day 50 the podcast was supposed to launch out of nowhere and comes comes to find out so day 50 there was no podcast launch because there's only 47 images and i didn't know what the heck how to work an rss feed i didn't know what the heck that was so i basically didn't launch let's see that was that august of 2017 so basically another month so i said okay fine i'll just uh launch this on september september um it's like september 1st or whatever it was supposed to be like the week before my birthday that year and one chick i interviewed i was like oh yeah this be up like september 6th whatever i had to shoot an email i was like hey had some technical difficulties and your episode will be up next thursday and the thing was like it I got to the point where it's like, okay, I had all these episodes edited, recorded, and all that good stuff. And I didn't know what that to do with Libsyn. It was like a learning curve, didn't give myself enough time to learn it. So I just launched on SoundCloud with like probably two hours of sleep that day because all that stuff I was doing with the darn editing and still had the full time day job at the library. And 
I had to give a speech that evening. So I basically was running. <laughs> I had like no sleep for like 32 hours that, that time because that was the same day I put up on SoundCloud. And then that was like September 14th. And then 14 days later, when I finally figured out what the heck I was doing, I was able to put it on Libsyn so that way it can spread it out to the other places. And iTunes might have put me on new and noteworthy. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. I just put it up there and just said, oh, thank God it's finally up there. And lo and behold, a few months later, after episode 32, I get this pitch from Interview Connections to interview their client at the time, Damian Lupo, who was this black belt martial arts millionaire. And he actually created this own martial art that he calls Yogido, which basically is a hybrid of Aikido with yoga, which was interesting. I'm like, dude, this is freaking amazing. Like, count me in because I'm, I'm a big fan of martial arts. And that's why I love the stuff that you do, Mark. It's like, wow, like martial arts is freaking awesome. And MMA, it's like, hey, like some people may see it as barbaric, but hey, like there's still an art to it and a respect thing to it. And that one email led to thousands of others after that from pitches from wonderful people. And it was only supposed to be a once a week thing, but now it's three days a week where every Monday, Thursday, and Saturday, I basically launch new episodes. So as a long-winded response to your question, I probably didn't warn a long-winded response. Yeah, it, it, it was a rocky launch. I didn't feel like quitting, but I was just hating life a bit, like go listening back on some things, just learning the editing process, which is now basically painless now, unless Zoom does this random thing or if there was bad audio or whatever. And really the thing is, like, if you have a rocky start, it doesn't matter if you're able to adjust along the way and keep going because, like, with the plans, like, like the classic phrase, like, God, like you make a, like, like man makes plans, but God laughs at him. Or the Mike Tyson quote, everybody has a plan to get punched in the face. Well, life punched me in the face. And I had to basically get back on the horse and really get back in there to eventually launch. So that's the other thing too. Like, it doesn't have to be perfect. You just have to start. I, I think that's awesome. I'm glad you shared that, man. I've had so many different problems with losing audio with I've even not recorded. I used to, I used to be high all the time. So that, that was also, <laughs> one, that, that was also one of the reasons why I would often mess up. Uh, so I stopped that, but I think that's completely right about just not having to make it perfect. That's that has held me back uh, in so many different areas about needing to be perfect. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Now, with so many interviews, how many of those did you really not vibe with the guest? Um, like, have there have there been many? I, I, I'm just I'm just curious. I've ha I've had a couple, but with so with you doing so many episodes, it seems like you know it can't be a perfect match for everybody. Well, yeah, you can say that again. Like, shoot, I, you're right, man. Like, there's there's been plenty of times where it's like I just didn't vibe with some of the guests, and heck, even one lady in particular. My goodness, we um, yep. Oh, I think we ended up in a co-author book project the following year. But she was, I was supporting to some one company, and she um was this health expert or whatever about basically making sure you're able to fit in your jeans or whatever, <laughs> and we. I think the interviews went to like 19 minutes. It was so bad. I'm like, wow, like you're really making me work here. Cause she was giving me <laughs> short answers and 
wasn't giving away much, wasn't sharing the stories or nothing. And I'm like, God dang, I have to earn my pay today. And I ain't even getting paid for this. Like, my God. <laughs> and it was like pulling teeth. And then after we were done recording, we talked for freaking 45 minutes. I'm like, where the fudge was this during the record button? <laughs> I was so pissed. So, yeah, I've had that happen. Heck, even um, one guest in particular, um, funny enough, he was, he, was, he was a little bit on the weird side. But I'm like, ah, what the hell? I'll say yes to him. We guessed on each other's platforms, and um, I, I doubt we can. Well, if you look on like page twenty of Google, you might find my interview on his thing. But um, he was like, "Hey, uh, can you take down that interview we did? Like, uh, it, it didn't really show me the good light." And I'm like, "Well, like, whatever. It's just you talking about hacking or whatever." I'm like, "I don't know why I wanted to take it down, but since we didn't vibe, I just took it down anyway." And then out of nowhere, my freaking download spiked out of nowhere. So I'm like, "Oh shoot." Well, that's cool. Because <laughs> so if you actually find the time to try to go all the way back and look for episode 50 of my podcast, you're not gonna find it. <laughs> you're not gonna find it because uh that was one of the guys I didn't vibe with and he probably didn't like it. So hey, um, well, I'm like it like most times I'll probably be like, nah, not gonna take it down. This is especially it was like one of those really good interviews too. I'm like, nah, I, I probably wouldn't, but in this case. I probably should have followed my gut instinct from the beginning and just said no. Mm. But learning, looking back, it's like, yeah, I probably should have said no from the beginning because like the, the fact that like, like that, that's, that's probably even a thing for life is like saying no to certain things will help mm. you to have yes to more things that you need in life. Like the fun, like abundance happens when you keep your space open for the things that you need and want out of life. Because it, even though I was able to, turn that interview into 30 minutes of something useful because one of the couple of listeners got something out of it with the hiking advice is the fact that even though that there was that good part of it it was like hell editing it back at the time when i was still like a rookie uh mm -hmm. still probably consider myself a rookie in terms of editing because i don't know everything about the software for editing but like just getting rid of that just show like hey not everybody not gonna buy with everybody and it's okay to say no to some people as a podcast host because it, there's, there's no shortage of guests unless you're like doing a podcast and underwater basket weaving like there's no real shortage of guests out there there's more potential podcast guests than their actual podcasts. i think we're at like what almost two million podcasts but there's a possibility i guess in the us of a alone maybe 100 million people who wow may have been part of a book or they do something interesting or they could be a potential guest or even the whole globe like like you could probably interview six billion people on the planet if you wanted to now granted it'd be interesting to make that happen if you learn all those languages you know all of them but but yeah so it, it, it there's yeah there, there's been quite a few times where it's like oh, i just didn't vibe with this person and one person i even took their interview off and it actually was better for the show in the long run and if someone and it always actually called me out on that when you like hey dom where's episode 50 because um there's over 437 others to choose from now <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i think that's a great point though man that you're not going to get along with everyone you're not going to vibe with everyone also like something i've had to accept with uh, all my different kinds of books is like Man, not everyone's going to like my writing. Some people are going to absolutely hate it. Some people love it and just being okay with that. So like for people that are thinking of starting up their own thing, whether it's a podcast or writing a book, it's like, you just have to be okay with, uh, you know, just, just do it. You're not going to, not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone's going to get along with you, but you will find those people uh, 
that really do. Now, um, I really, I'm gonna distill the question that you asked me, because uh, I, I would love to hear your answer. What would you tell yourself, you know, the 20 year old, uh, you know, what, would, what advice would you give that person, you know, before you went through all this stuff, what would you tell him? Oh, well, before I went through all this stuff, man. Uh, wow. So join Toastmasters. That'd be the first thing. Well, actually, no, the first thing would be find John Maxwell's books and read every single one of them and apply them <laughs> to your life and then become a voracious reader again. Then join Toastmasters, give a bunch of speeches and get in that leadership sandbox because like that's the other thing too. like Toastmasters. The tagline is where leaders are made. It's a volunteer organization. Like if you can get through leading a group of volunteers then you can be just about following almost anywhere because volunteers they ain't getting paid it ain't like <laughs> <laughs> they there because they either like what's going on in the room they like the atmosphere or they're just trying to get something out of it so if you can lead a group of volunteers you can lead just about anywhere so read great books join toastmasters and i have to say probably hmm because I also did Taekwondo back in the early 20s, too. So I'd say probably do a lot more. I'd probably say do a lot more of the martial arts practice, too. Like get deeper into the Taekwondo because it was because at first it, I just went in there for the whole self-defense since the instructor out of the self-defense aspect. And he also wanted us to develop our hands as well. So even though we didn't get full boxing training with it and Taekwondo guys aren't known for boxing in hands, he just wanted to make sure we had at least knew how to throw a proper punch for real and to be able to actually wouldn't say throw hands, but actually be a little bit more adept at, or at least have that tool in our toolbox. So basically that probably say that too. Once you get in there, don't, don't leave it like cause 25. That was a interesting year for me. And I gained a lot of weight that year. So read a bunch of books, join Toastmasters and go even harder in the martial arts practice. That's awesome. Uh, now, where can people uh, where, where should people go to follow you? And uh, I'm picking up your book on Amazon, right? Is that where we want to go to get your book? Stay the course. Oh yeah, that's right. It's all on the magical side of Amazon, the site that's stealing everything. They're <laughs> the conglomerate, baby. Not yeah. that I'm against them. I love Amazon. Shoot, Amazon Prime that changed the game. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to the going north podcast too especially when mark's episode drops too you'll definitely get some goodies in there awesome man well thank you again for being on here i really enjoyed talking with you enjoyed being on your podcast uh and i'm looking forward to learning from your book so i think that is awesome uh yeah thank you again for coming on i hope you have an incredible day thanks again mark you the man baby I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Dom. Now it is story time. This story is 28 Blocks, narrated by John Anthony Davis. This is taken from Five More Perfect Days, which is included in 25 Perfect Days plus five more. All right, guys, I will talk to you next week. Peace. Twenty-eight Blocks. September 30th, 2055. Frank Hollister strode through the shadow of inner block four, 60 stories of steel and black solar windows. The particle pistol holstered under his jacket did little to ease his nerves. It wasn't the residence. 
The smell from the aqueduct kept all but a handful inside the massive complex, covering almost three square miles. The demonstration was supposed to go down next Sunday night, but Gabriel had pushed up the meeting to 11 o'clock today. Gabriel had been acting paranoid. Frank hoped he just wanted to go over the plans one more time to be safe. Frank stepped inside and joined the masses. All blocks were designed exactly the same. Fifty-nine floors of wall-to-wall dorms, one entrance on each side of the building. The first floor was the bazaar. Clothing stores, electronic stores, a grocery store, movie theater, church, bank, and even a casino. Everything provided. No reason for anyone to ever leave. Gabriel called it their prison. Everything could be locked down in 60 seconds. Two teenagers stood off to the side of the stairs, both wearing black armbands. Neither looked familiar, but Frank hadn't met everyone in the faction. Something wasn't right with these two, though. Something about their eyes. They seemed to be looking at nothing. Frank moved through the bazaar, surprised how crowded it was. A sea of black and gray, the end color of everything. Usually he came in on transport. It took him to the basement. He'd walk straight to Kyle's room for briefing. Today, Frank was coming from Controller Station 56. He worried someone had been following him. Knew he'd been working as a snitch. Maybe this was a setup. Frank slowed, let others bump past him as they hurried into the market, joined the fast-flowing stream to the pharmacy. Up ahead, giant glass elevators sprouted from the middle of the open floor. Frank turned back. The two teenagers were gone. Around the corner was the confessional. A line of sinners snaked through the bazaar. Today was the day to pay dues or give names. It was easy to tell from the way most were standing which one they'd picked. A controller in black body armor stood at the confessional's entrance, checking wrists. A hand clamped down on Frank's shoulder. Hey man, how are you doing? Frank spun around, already reaching for his gun, but stopped when he saw it was Steve Cooper, a guy he hadn't seen since high school. Frank forced a smile. Talk softly so Cooper would keep it down. I'm good, I'm good. Scared the hell out of me, though. Cooper laughed, looked smug in his shiny blue suit. You live down here? No, just here for some friends. Frank's little cousin, Caden, came over to connect, a voice only Frank could hear. Exactly. Now get to it. Caden had just been promoted to disciple and transferred to the controllers. He clearly relished his new power over Frank, who used to torment him as a boy. Frank ignored him and asked Stephen, How about you? You living here? No. Wife and I have a house on the skirts, trying to stay close to my dad's clinic. In high school, Stephen used to get the best drugs from his old man's office. Skirts, huh? Should probably be heading home, right? Rush hour and all. It's Sunday, Frank. Today was only supposed to be a demonstration, but with Gabriel moving up at the meeting, Frank feared this could get dangerous. Caden warned Frank to be quiet. Frank eased open his jacket, exposed the butt of his pistol. At home. Before Stephen could say anything, Frank walked off, tired of Caden bitching him out. You follow instructions, Frank. You hear me? Frank turned down the control so Caden could only hear 
what was spoken, not Frank thinking he was an asshole. Taking orders from a spoiled 17-year-old was becoming unbearable, but Frank was in too deep to speak up. The liquor store was next to the confessional. Frank thought it was fitting that he headed back to the line. Gabriel and Kyle were standing right where Gabriel said they'd be, not 30 yards from the confessional entrance. They were definitely on camera, but didn't seem to care. The controller's station looked empty, but Frank knew it wasn't. Six controllers ran the complex of holding cells, another six on patrol, a dozen agents for 80,000 residents. Frank turned up his connect and thought, Gabriel's here, with Kyle, both in black coats. Caden acknowledged him, told him to stop looking suspicious. There was a glass mechanical eye on the pole in front of him, everything always on camera. Frank noticed two more of Gabriel's guys hanging by the fence. Caden was no nonsense. Approach the faction leader. If Gabriel heard those words, he'd laugh. He never saw himself above the resistance. Just another body for the cause. Frank slipped out of line and stood in front of Gabriel, blocked him from the station's camera. Frank forced a smile. So what's new? Gabriel said, There's a change of plans. Frank had known Gabriel since they were young. But a lot had changed in the last seven years, and it wasn't just the beard. What's up? Frank prayed to the preacher that Gabriel was calling off the demonstration. Even a simple protest typically ended with people hurt, harsh warnings for lasting reminders. Kyle, a stocky blonde punk with an eye patch, stepped forward. Gabriel's right-hand man that never left his side. How about we stop talking here? They moved through the crowd and into a stairwell. Gabriel closed the door and said, Things have escalated. We're taking over the block. Frank thought to Caden, Are you getting this? No response. Frank said, Taking over how? Gabriel pinned the thumbnail camera to Frank's jacket, patted him on his shoulder. Don't worry, your job's the same. We have two minutes. Are you in? Frank's mind scrambled for an excuse, a reason why he had to leave the building. What happened to the demonstration? Gabriel opened his jacket, gave a glimpse of all the weapons strapped underneath. All you have to do is film. Take the internal as backup and don't stop rolling. Frank thought, what should I do, Caden? Still nothing. Frank figured his stairwell was blocking the connection. Maybe they'd brought him here because they knew who he was. Frank looked up the stairs, didn't see any more of their guys. I still don't understand what's happening here. Kyle said, All you have to do is film. Can you handle that or not? Frank didn't need the recog software to know Kyle didn't trust him. That Kyle would kill him if he knew Frank was a snitch. He said, I can handle it. Gabriel zipped up his jacket. We're putting an end to this. The word will spread. We're broadcasting everything. What about Cameron? Frank asked. Cameron was supposed to be filming too. Cameron got scooped up this morning. He'll probably talk. That's why it has to be now. Okay, look, Frank said. Even if we take over, what then? If the other blocks don't participate, it means nothing. Gabriel said, They'll see the video and join. I have each leader's word. Once this goes out, everyone will follow. Frank wanted to say no one would see the video, that the controllers had already blocked the signal when they heard about the demonstration. 
Nothing would be transmitted until it had been brought through the filter. Instead, he nodded along to Gabriel, glanced at the door. The controllers were just outside. Frank wondered how far they were going to let this go. Gabriel pressed a panel on the wall next to the stairs. A secret door slid open. A lanky kid in a trench coat stepped out, along with five other teenagers. Gabriel looked at Frank, rubbed his scraggly beard. How do I look? Determined? Naive? Gabriel opened the door. His men filed out, clearing a path for Gabriel. Frank moved left to get the controller stationed behind Gabriel, just like they'd planned. Frank thought he'd hear Caden's voice, but there was just a light buzzing noise. He wondered if Gabriel had jammed his connection. Gabriel raised both arms, a particle pistol in each hand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the revolution. The station's door slid open and four controllers rushed out, ran right for them. A circle of rifles aimed at their heads, the controller in the middle shouting, Get down! Get down on your knees! A crowd circled to watch the show, a wall of bodies behind the controllers. Men and women inching closer. Gabriel kept his smile and slowly turned around. He shook his head. No, you get on yours. Drop your weapons, a controller yelled. The wall of bodies came to life. A dozen men dashed in. They were all wearing black armbands, driving knives into the controller's throats. The resistance swept up the rifles, ran towards the station. Gabriel and Kyle right behind them. Frank stood there shaking. Holy shit. The pooling blood spread across the tile, flowing around his boots. Don't be stupid. Just do what you're told. Keep filming. Caden's voice was back. Or had it been there all along? You want your parents getting a late night visit? Frank chased after them. Kyle shattered the glass, tossed in a grenade. The blast cleared and six resistance fighters slipped inside, shots fired. All but one came back out, announced it was clear. Gabriel turned to Frank. You getting all this? Frank could only nod yes. Follow me. Gabriel led the way into the station, pushed aside the dead body on the chair, sat at the monitor. He looked at the camera on Frank's chest. The first step is separation from the controllers. We don't need you. He punched in the code to seal the doors. Then he turned off the transport. No one will be leaving this building. No one will be entering. Caden, you there? Gabriel rose. We will no longer be controlled. We will no longer pay for our own enslavement. Gabriel stepped out of the station, two rows of men keeping the civilians back. Frank positioned himself so he had Gabriel's profile. A bead of sweat running down his forehead. Gabriel addressed the audience. They created these blocks to keep us contained. They keep us under their control. But these blocks don't belong to them. They belong to us. Some in the crowd cheered. Others looked uneasy, slowly backed away. One guy in the front shouted, They'll kill us! Gabriel laughed it off. They already are. They sent our brothers and sisters into South America to die for nothing. What are you talking about? The guy said. It was clear they had no idea what really was going on with the war. The confusion turned to anger. A woman said, They're going to be coming for us now. Someone else shouted, They'll send in the drones. 
Panic rose. Screams, chaos, people pushing. Gabriel told Frank to keep the camera focused on him. This is for the good of our brothers and sisters. You have to see that. A little girl began crying. Gabriel was losing control. Keep him talking, Caden said. Gabriel's face was bright red. More screams in the distance. Gabriel spoke of chemicals in the water, of microchips and government spies among them. Their lies are everywhere, but it all comes crashing down today. Yes, got it. Got what, Caden? Where's the cavalry? No response. Gabriel stopped mid-sentence. The panicking crowd was dispersing. A man fell, trampled. Are we still broadcasting? Gabriel said. Frank? Frank turned away from the poor man and nodded, even though he knew they weren't. A deep voice came over the connect. Third back on your left. Gray hat. Recox. Stop him. Frank turned, searched the crowd, found the guy, who pulled out a particle pistol. Frank went for his holster, tore out his gun. He was about to fire when he noticed the guy wasn't aiming at a person, but at a silver orb hovering near the fourth floor. Lankford, take him out. Who the hell is Lankford? Frank thought. A man with a black armband emerged from the crowd, fired three shots. The gray hat fell to the floor. Seemed Frank wasn't the only infiltrator. The voice said, T-minus ten seconds. Frank kept his gun out, steadied his shaking hand. Who is this? Where's Caden? Nine. Frank went deeper into the connect, saw Gabriel's face on monitors around the city. Eight. Gabriel was speaking, his words already edited. Welcome to the revolution. Seven. Six. These blocks don't belong to them. Five. They belong to us. Four. Three. And today? Two. It all comes crashing down. Oh, God. The first explosion came from the second floor. A cloud of plaster and glass rained down on the bazaar. Another blast hit the front entrance as a group of people tried to escape. More charges started going off everywhere. A family of three flew through the front of the electronics store. A shard of metal sliced off a woman's arm. Everything slowed. Frank fell flat on his back rolled to his side as Gabriel ran for the little boy. Both of them buried under a collapsing wall. What had they done? This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.